Hi, and welcome to a small, medium, at large podcast. I'm your host, Gail Heisen, bringing you intimate stories that heal. I want to thank all of you listeners for subscribing. I think we might be at a thousand by time this show airs. It'll also be our one year anniversary when this show airs. And we're so happy that you stood by us, supported us, listened, shared, commented. And also I've learned so much from all the amazing guests we've had. I have all kinds of new friends that have come to visit. And I feel I'm getting so much out of this experience of finding people and meeting them and sharing our stories. I hope the stories are helping you in your healings. And I hope that everybody's having a really wonderful week. Today, we have a very special guest named Clay. <clears throat> oh, here I'm going with my spellings. Here we are. Clay Lamakayu Miller, who lives in Cottonwood, Arizona, just outside of Sedona, where he has been serving clients from all over the world to assist them in living at the center of the circle of who they are. Medicine of one is the outcome of this service. It is a non-dual shamanic path that has formed from his work with clients for 25 years and his time in the ancient sacred land of the Southwest. He uses a unique form of healing called soul dreaming to help free people from the stories from their past so they may gift the world their true presence. He is also the creator of primordial movements for trauma and emotional integration. He considers his primary service as the sharing of medicine of one. At his side are his wolf dog helpers, assisting people with their presence and their love. Medicine of one is summed up in the one noble truth, which is to live at the center where from true being comes our true doing. The first action is the true action of self-love. He has two books, Medicine of One and One Noble Truth, and has many, many subscribers to his YouTube channel, which is filled with incredible informative videos, which I highly suggest you start watching because there's so many to, to see. You can see his YouTube channel called Medicine of One, and you can check out his website, M-E-D-I-C-I-N-E-O-F-O-N-E.com. All of this information will, of course, be on our description. But for anyone who's listening right now, they can say they can check out his website right away. Uh, so let's welcome Clay here today. Hi, Clay. Hello, Gail. It's really great to have you here. Good to be here. Uh, just so our audience knows, we've never met before. This is not one of my old friends like we've seen on a lot of shows in the beginning. This is a new a new guest, and. I always like to find out a little bit about your life before we go into your present work, because I always feel that whether it's childhood or somewhere seeds have been planted for persons to go onto a spiritual path. And I'm also always curious, uh, there's a, a, a show we had right before you with Ardana, and we've had quite a few different guests where there's a pivotal moment in their life that sometimes happens from incredible trauma or near death or something that might have then changed their path in life. And I know that you have something to talk to us about that happened to you 
That was very traumatic in 1975. But prior to that, were you someone that was on a spiritual path or as a child, were you, did you feel the warmth and, and, and information that comes from rocks and things? Or did this really begin much later in life after you experienced trauma? Well, I, <clears throat> I sort of always had a desire to live an awake life. Uh, I can't say that as a child, I was living in a magical world necessarily. Mm -hmm. It was fairly normal. Um, however, it, and one of the things that uh, when I was like 16, 17, there was a book that actually seems quite materialistic, but actually it's not called Think and Grow Rich. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was one of the books that influenced me into giving uh, a speech at my uh, graduation for my high school. So it, it really dealt with, you know, the whole thing of what well, you are, what you think. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, to me, that was, it, it was just the desire to be awake um, was always there. Uh, and I, I never really fit into the mainstream. I never had a sort of normal job. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, uh, I just sort of just went one way or another. I lived in North Beach in uh, San Francisco in Berkeley. I went to Berkeley for a little while and uh, I hung out with all the poets in North Beach and, you know, I was writing poetry and- What, we were, what year was that? That was in 1973, 74. That's, that's, I was there then too. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was babysitting in North Beach at the oh, wow, time okay. of Kearney Street. They used to be- Yeah, Kearney Street. The Mystic Eye, it was, the, it was like the uh, Mystic Bookstore that was there. Okay. And then I'd have to babysit. I'd have to climb those stairs every morning at 7 a.m. to get to the top of those stairs so that people could get to work in time. <laughs> and then I'd have to walk through North Beach and all the naked lady places. <laughs> Aragona, when, and I was, you know, 16 at the time. <laughs> yeah, I used to bartend at a place called Vesuvio's. Oh, yes. <laughs> right right next to City Lights Bookstore. Oh, yes. I know and, that. Uh, That's where I stood to wait for the bus. And I used to go to a place called the uh, Coffee Gallery. Mm -hmm. And that's where Janis Joplin started. And I used to go in there and wail and howl on my own guitar. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, I was living sort of an art, art you know, artist kind of life. Mm -hmm. uh, living it up, you know. Um, and just, yeah, back then I wanted to be a writer. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, so that, that was my main focus. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you mentioned the, the, I, I did have, a, it, it wasn't, I had an accident in 1975. It, it wasn't like an awakening because of the accident, but something changed in me. Mm -hmm because it affected my whole spine and head and brain. And uh, Did I didn't- Did you have near death at the time? Well, I was knocked out for 50. Now, basically what happened was I was in an Austin Healey 3000, uh, old sports car with a, what they call a rag top. It's just had a piece of cloth for a top. I flipped it over at 90 miles an hour and slid for 330 feet underneath it and basically shaved off part of the steering wheel. And somehow I did hit the pavement with my head and my shoulder, but I was able to 
to get away from it. And I crawled out and walked away. So I thought. Wow. But it, it rearranged my whole body permanently. Uh, and yeah, it, it, yeah, that totally altered my whole path. Just <clears throat> because some things that I wanted to do and be, I couldn't do it anymore because it affected my brain and stuff. Mm -hmm. But it did, I think, somehow affect my brain in a way that probably allows me to do some of the things that I do. Uh, it's like, it, which, like your brain got rewired a little to a different. Yeah, way. or something got out of the way so that it wasn't interfering. <laughs> I mean, isn't that that's the way I, I look at it? Is the only the only thing I take credit for is getting out of the way. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, that was that was then, and and basically what I call medicine of one has come out of what I've had to be with as a result of that physically and emotionally, mentally. Um, and it, it, it's really, uh, it, it all comes down to pretty much of a different way to engage your own emotional being. And, uh, and so I use the circle a lot to talk about what I call your big eye. So it's like, you know, I was out this morning with a client who slept out for two nights doing my form of a vision quest. And, and it's, you know, you, the sky is this vast openness and there's a circle out there. And so that circle connects you with the great circle, so to speak. So it makes you feel spacious and open, which is your own deep, quiet presence, your I am, so to speak. And so that's why I use that circle out there to help people to step into that because that is the medicine of one. You as that spacious openness, which is love and everything else. And the way most of us survive is the opposite. We contract. Mm -hmm. And so the opposite is, is that openness. So um, it, it's kind of what I ask people to do. And this man I just had had a very difficult time with it is because I'm asking him to reverse the lifetime habit of how he survived, which is to think, to contract, to hold the breath, all these things so that the emotions, which are like movements inside of us, right? That we survive by not letting them move. And my whole thing is we need to let them move. We need to move them. And that's the essence of what I do is to help people to move them to clear the way. So, and we need that big eye to do that. Mm -hmm. That's the key. Um, so that, that, that spacious presence uh, has, is something I had to cultivate too for myself, for, you know, feelings of helplessness and powerlessness and all those things. Uh, how do, you know, it's, it's like the paradox how to how to love your fear mm -hmm. um well, well fear is one of the biggest things that people are manipulated by oh yeah and you know there's been so much fear in these last few years that uh i feel like we need a we need a heartwarming rest on the you know and release of that because it's become like a global fear instead of just your own personal fear it, yeah, it's it's kind of yeah. I mean, uh, regardless of what side of the political spectrum you're on, uh, it, it, 
to me, one side of the spectrum is driven by fear and anger. Mm -hmm. And it has grievances. And it wants to blame other things for the way everything is. Uh, and that's a trap. And, and the reason they're, they're, they're uh, attracted to somebody who manipulates that is of their own fear and anger inside themselves. It's like that's, a mirror. Yeah, that's running them. And, uh, but, you know, unfortunately, it's like the Hopis believe that we're living in the fifth world and that each world was destroyed by man's greed. And greed, it's essentially greed. It's fear, I'm not going to have enough. Right. I'm not going to have enough. Whether it's people not wanting the the uh, the Spanish speaking or Mexicans or the blacks or it's they're going to get what I want or you know, and uh, yeah, it's it's the fear of of something going to be taken away from them. To live at the center is the opposite. To live at the center is is begins with what I what you quoted the true action of self love, which is to be that spacious openness to everything that moves in you. And then to radiate that into the world and to basically it's like the golden rule. You treat everybody the way you want to be treated. I, I continue to work on that person of myself in that aspect always, because there's always room for improvement. I've gotten much, much better when I go out there in the world and somebody does something negative to me in their car or yells at you or gives you the finger for whatever reason. And I've learned to that used to, you know, I'd react to that and feel like, a personal insult or hurt to myself. And I would never lash back at people. I would just take it all inside into me. And now I'm learning to, you know, have like, you know, a little barrier here and a protection in the front. And that when the people have these issues, just send them love and send them understanding that, well, we don't know what that person just went through. They may be rushing off because somebody got hurt or they may be in a, you know, in a space of complete confusion and they don't know what they're doing. So I've been trying to always go out there with a positive attitude and a loving space, but things do happen that you, like you just all of a sudden get pushed right back, a button gets pushed and you go back to those old ways. And I think it's really good to just always remember that, yeah, we have to change habits and things that we've done and we're only human. And, uh, but the more that we shed a positive light on it, the more that the other thing starts to fall away. Right, and, and sort of in the medicine of one, what, what you do is whatever is being aroused from outside, whether it's your own anger, or hurt that you must let it move but not you don't want to put it into the world mm -hmm. so sometimes like imagine you're driving down the road and one person after another pulls out in front of you like you don't exist right and you can feel the pressure building and so rather than wait until you sort of explode or even on your almost readiness to explode you try to send love you you invoke you close all the windows and first you become empty and you become that spaciousness and then you invoke and you thrust into that space your rage and then you immediately reestablish yourself as the open sky and you just let it affect you but there's always opposites so the rage 
And then it's the other one, like there's always the fragile end of it. It's like, don't, I'm here. Don't you see me? I exist. Okay. So you got to bring them both in, let them move. And then in my world, then you become love. Then the love just is naturally there. Um, so that like, let's say you have issues with people. Frequently people have issues between parents and children. Children are usually angry because they didn't get the love that they wanted. And because maybe they were judged a lot. Uh, and so they grow up and the, the children still want that, that they didn't get. So they're judging the parents while the parents are still judging them. So you have these two judgmental forces against each other. Somebody's got to become responsible for what they feel. So if that child, usually it's that end that happens on, sort of becomes responsible for the hurt, the desire, the want of being loved and their rage and let it move, they become forgiveness. They don't forgive, they become it. So that there's no charge inside of them anymore for anybody to react on, then the other person can change. Do you have children? I have one child in, uh, she's in Ottawa, but I did not raise her. So, oh, she didn't raise her, so you don't have the, Child knows how to push your button better than any other person. <laughs> I have three and they know how to, they make Yeah, exactly. Life. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's face it. The people closest to us are our greatest challenge. <laughs> they are our biggest teachers. You know, yeah. Uh, and so, I yeah. Thought, I saw myself do the things that I did not receive as a child. I ended up, get, I'm just saying my healing for me was having these children. Yeah. That's where the healing came because I wanted to be sure that they never had to go through any kind of the crazy life that I had growing up. But in that, I see how I've made errors by doing that because I've been a little more protective or more. Exactly. So we overcompensate. So yeah. Right. I don't want them to have any pain, but it's pain how we learn. So, but as a parent, I'm just, I just wanted to share, you know, we, 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 we all try to do our best, but minor, mine are all adult children's ages, 26 to 45 now. Wow. And two of them still live here on my, they live here on my property. They've come and gone or whatever. So we have a very close family relationship, but when it comes to the button pushing times or anything that I do with my podcast, they all support my podcast but like none of them will ever watch it, but they'll produce it for me. They'll help me get it working. They'll okay. So you just told me something. Yes. You want them to watch it. Well, I figure when I'm dead, they'll have a whole because, life. But you, you want, well, no, it's it, what I'm saying there is that, you know, that it, that's human. Yeah. It's human to want, you know, a positive attention and support. And so uh, on a subtle level, it can kind of, you know, you, you get to a certain point where you don't need it or anything like that, but it just sort of, yeah. Right. It would just feel, it would be not, you know, <laughs> this one I just had with Tommy Chung, that's the first one they said they'll all watch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Took 26 episodes. <laughs> so I had a couple questions I want to ask you about your work. And before I do, I wanted to ask you, because I've had a, some different shows about psychedelics and I know different scientists who are doing research right now with microdosing, with 
um, mushrooms and uh, cannabis and different things that they're doing only specifically for therapy, not to get high, not to, you know, that's not what their goal there is. Their goal is to work through issues or to help people with their inner work. And I'm wondering, did you ever do any of that type of work for yourself? Or do you find that that's really not a helpful tool? Or do you have any experience at all even with this? Because I know in like in the different uh, cultures I've been in, the Weecholes, um, other cultures, there there is some sort of a psychedelic kind of plant or for them it's the peyote. Um, I'm wondering if that's any part of your work or if you've had anything or information about that. Uh, it, it's not. Um, and certainly there's value in that. Uh, absolutely. And I think it can, and, and it's sort of, it can sometimes be a quick way to break down this illusion of separation. Mm -hmm. um, but to me, sort of what I do is the hard work uh, the of, of being in the world uh, and, and what we've been talking about, you know, uh, in relationships and things like that. Um, I mean, I grew up in the late 60s and 70s, so... Um, yeah, I got a lot of wild experiences, but uh, you grew up in the East Coast, or where were you from? Nah, well, I grew up in Michigan, and then I lived in San Francisco and Berkeley, and oh, for a while. That's so. that's where my first time. <laughs> Golden Gate Park. <laughs> uh, I didn't get to meet Janis Joplin though, like you. I that was yeah. one of my regrets. <laughs> so I actually get people that call me, and that's what they want. Um, mm -hmm. But for me, in some respects, that's the. I mean, the, the only problem that I have with that is that it's the quick, easy way for people. Uh, it's like. I, I want to um, give you some uh, feedback on that because I, I, I was born in 1955, but I was a very young, precocious person who had no um, parental guidance. So I really could do whatever I wanted when I was 12 years old. And I did all my psychedelic experimentation during ages um, 14, I think, 14 to 18. And then I never did any of those things again. And I was never like a person, I never did tons of LSD or any of this. I just tried everything because that's what was happening in, our, in the, you know, this is 1969, 1970, 71, this right. was big. And um, I've always wondered whether it was part of the reason that my psychic side was so incredibly open at such a young age, but it was open prior to experimenting with any of those drugs. Right, yeah. So I found that Oh, interesting world. And then I never did another psychedelic drug again. And then in my late 30s, I did a, um, maybe it was my early 40s. I did one, I had tasted little bits of peyote, but it was only because I was part of the ceremony in the mountains of Mexico with the Huichol Indians. And when I was invited in, it was the right thing to do, but I never took enough to have a psychedelic experience, but just to be respectful of the ceremony. When my husband and I decided we would do a little bit of a trip together after all those years, and I learned something that I think is such a valuable lesson, 
which was that all of the things I did from when I was a teenager on that had nothing to do with any drugs, right. all was amazing dream work, uh, precognition work, psychic experiences, a lot of this. And that went on and on into my life and was all very interesting. And it's with me today. When I took the little trip, I said, oh my God, this is no different than what I've been doing on my own without anything for the last, you know, because the last time I'd done a psychedelic, I was a teenager. So it was from a teenager's point of view. Right. Now as a mother, someone who's had children, you're an adult, it was a whole different kind of approach. And, you know, we didn't have any wild, crazy, outrageous experience. It was just a mild, nice thing, but enough to show me that the access I was getting during that mescaline was exactly the same access I have without it. Right. And I found that to be a fascinating thing to know that I can do these things. I don't need this drug to do this, but it does do what you said. It does propel you quickly through. And we live in a time where people are very, uh, everything is instant because of the internet and everybody's become where they want answers instantly. They want things done instantly and there's no patience. And I just want to put a word out for the fact that naturally much of this can occur for you, that you don't need to do these things. I'm not saying that it's not all right to do them. That's up to you. But I'm just saying, I realized that they were one in the same. That's, that's, which I thought was a very great thing to know. Right. And, you know, a lot of people, for whatever reason, don't have that early access that you had to that part of yourself. So it can sort of break the wall down, so to speak. Um, but, you know, there's a whole thing about the coevolution of man and plants, uh, where man, you know, even in the Hinduism and stuff, they used plants too, and to sort of break down the barriers and stuff. So a lot of the, the, the religions came from that. That's mm -hmm. why to me, shamanism is really where all, all religions originated there in one form or another. Well, I have in two different cultures that I've spent and I have intimate relations with and very long-term because I started being involved with the Weechol Indians in 1984 or five. And I have been involved ever since I've made six trips there bringing food and clothing and I've participated in two peyote ceremonies and a ceremony of the corn being the only white person there and um, so to be taken into these cultures which are now more publicly available for people but back in the 80s when I was doing this you could only go to visit them with permission from the governor of the of the group of we chose of that community the Santa Catarina community and I got to um, experience being with them with no books, no information, just my experiences. Then I got involved and, and I credit them because I had a diagnosis of cervical cancer when I went to visit them. And I did healing work with the shamans there. And I did, um, I was eating the, I didn't know then it was the dried blood of the deer that was caught sacredly. And um, up until being with them and the shaman going over my body with his uh, feathers and his wands and then sucking up and showing me that down in my crotch I had a problem up until that moment I didn't even believe I had cancer when the medical doctors told me that and so I went until I went with them I really did not accept that that was true I just figured it was some 
something. They were trying to sell me on something. Yeah, you need to have surgery. So I credit them and shamanism for helping me get through cervical cancer when I was told I had two to five years to live. And when they finished the surgery, the, 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 the surgeon actually came and said to me, I don't know what you did with your Indians, but you did something because a skin was formed around your entire tumor that should have spread to the rest of your organs. Wow. Instead, you, it became completely sealed. He said, so I've removed it. It has not spread anywhere in your body and my hat's off to you. So I do believe in healing that sometimes we need the medical Western intervention, but for me, I prefer doing all of the things to heal. That it's my spirit, my body, my soul, you know, all of that together. And so I credit that work of those shamans as helping me at that time in an invisible way and in a way for altering my ability to be able to accept the fact that I had cancer. Then I go to Mongolia where shamanism is a religion. Now, a shaman in the Weecholes, that is your doctor, your therapist. You know, it's a very important role in the community. In Mongolia, they had to keep their shamanism hidden for all those years. And, and they were killed if they were shamans. And so it's only since they became uh, free of all the other countries ruling them and on their own that shamans were able to come out of hiding and start sharing. And when I would, went there, I've been there for two different trips, but one was in 2006 and the other one, I think it was 2006 or 2008. Well, anyway, somewhere in that. And then a few years later, and when I would go around with my shaman who I was staying with, Mongolian people would just come rushing towards him because they had not been able to interact that freely before. Now, when I went again some years later, the shamans are being honored. They're, 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 they're having amazing um, conferences there. They're sharing about this. But when I went there, I saw that shamanism was a religion. It was not something like you, that's what it was for all those years in this place. Right. And I, I don't, I think, I think um, shamanism has all sorts of uh, ideas or things that people, when they hear that name comes with that. And right. I was discussing this with you earlier that how does that make you feel when someone says to you, oh, so are you shaman clay? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, please don't call me that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that's an attempt to describe some of what I do, not who I am. Uh, and in a way, it's a paradox because a lot of shamanism to me is very dualistic. Mm hmm. Up, you know, the different worlds, different this and that. And my sort of branded shamanism is what I call non-dual. And so that's what the medicine of one comes from. You are the medicine of one. You are that one. And within that one, the whole world moves. All the dualistic things. But don't forget who you are. And so you get, if you can let them move, you know, you can have one voice that says this, another one that, and right and wrong and black and white. And, but if you can just sort of like be, be this open space that they move in uh, and not adopt that voice or that one. And so that to me is the, so in that sense, it's a religion because that's the doorway to God. <laughs> Well, it, 
Go ahead. Mongolian shamanism, which I have been initiated into, but it's not my same exact experience. So some of them might feel critical to me about, you know, wearing Mongolian clothing, but I was gifted all of these things to wear. So I feel I should, but I don't put myself into any particular category that I follow this method. I'm one like this. For me, it's always just been a connection to higher source or whatever that's flowing through. And I'm just sort of being a vessel at that time. In the Mongolian shamans, when they come here and they have done many ceremonies here, which I'm totally, totally have nothing but gratitude for all of them, they become a different spirit when they do their work. So like a woman could be here, that's the most beautiful woman, but an old man enters her spirit and she physically does start to look like an old man when she does the work. Right. I don't do that. And I don't, I don't, I, mean, I don't judge myself as not being that way that I don't turn into someone else, but I have a different form of doing different things. And somehow you need sort of this, when they gave me that shamanic initiation, which was a six day experience, I was so grateful for that because I never did have this little label that people want to ask you, well, what do you do? Or why do you, what do you mean healing? Or what do you mean blessings? Or So it, it gave sort of a form to work under. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like I like the idea of that. Everything coming comes from all different sources. Like the knowledge that you may have may come from Hopis and Mongolians and, you know, all the different ones. I'm into the idea of, it all being open, free information, right? Instead of hidden and not shared, which right. I found a lot of Native American people feel feel that they have to protect the information. I'm not I'm not judging any of it, but for me, I like the idea of one world, one everything, everybody sharing and being open with whatever they have to share. Right. What do you think about that? Do you well, think I think the reason that they are they're protective is because of so much that's been stolen. Mm. So that's you know they, they've got their own emotional baggage from that trauma. Right. And a lot of times Native Americans groups don't necessarily have ways to deal with that. Um, that's why for me, there's a strong component of like certain forms of Buddhism in what I do mm -hmm. because it deals more with that, you know, Vipassana, the, the awareness and, uh, and the breath. Yeah, exactly. And the breath is so important. Well, um, I just discovered, I was initiated as a Buryat shaman and I just found out from another group that came here to my house to do ceremony. They are the Chinggis Khan lineage of shamans. And in theirs, there is no Buddhism. But in the Buryat shamans of Mongolia, which there are many, many of, they integrate Buddhism with Mongolian shamanism. So they, when I was initiated, it was Om Mani Padme Hom. They use, they, and they integrate those two together. And I thought that was a beautiful thing. Yeah. So I really loved that, that combination. But Enough about me and the shamanism things. I want to ask you a couple more questions. One quick one, and then we'll go back. I wanted to ask you about frequencies and self-compassion. And I want to know what some of these things that we're talking about for the listeners to know about 
Like, what is your soul? You, you speak about soul dreaming, soul retrieving. What What is soul dreaming? Okay, so let's say um, you come, you're coming to me for that. You don't know much about it. Okay. But it sounded like it might be good. You're having, you're ha maybe let's say you, you have childhood trauma you've dealt with your whole life. Done a lot of therapy, done all kinds of stuff, but it's still there. Mm -hmm. So when I begin with somebody, the first thing that I want to know is, how do you want to feel as you move through the world? You are a certain way now. How do you want to feel? Do you want to feel more? So they're big words like freedom, trust, creativity, clarity. So that's, I need to know that because that's what I'm going to serve. Mm -hmm. So that's the new dream, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Lydia, I will lay it out as a circle in the four directions and maybe have four ribbons that are, you know, clarity, freedom, uh, love, whatever. So I don't ask them anything. All I want to know is what they want. And knowing what they want, basically what I do is a journey or dream, I'm going to channel it in order to take them to the new dream. And I'm going to run into what's in the way. So I will, essentially how it happens is I use music. So I, 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 before people get here, I'll pick out certain, I'll just look, flip through music and things will pop out to me and I'll set that up. So then uh, knowing what they want, I take them into a deep state start the music, put my hands on them, and something will leap forth. Mm -hmm. So I just had a man here, and what leaped forth uh, was, why? <laughs> so I go right to it. It's, there's no fooling around. You go right to the core, and it's that, why? <laughs> and it can grow. So again, that's a vibration frequency you were talking about. So the whole journey is a journey of vibrations, that if the person can live them with me, they will undo the old dream and be able to arrive in the new dream. Because their problem is those vibrations they have not let move. Like you were a pool of water, and instead of letting it vibrate out to the edges and complete itself, you stop it. Like the water gets frozen, and you end up with all these cracks, uh, which are like what I call the little eyes, your stories. So they all, each story has energies trapped in it that are emotions that you didn't let move because you were surviving. So the whole point of the journey is to set them in motion so they can complete themselves and so that we can arrive at the end and clear the way. So that's essentially what it is. So with this man, it was, uh, it, it, I went back into a lot of like uh, him as a boy, very lonely, picked on. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm actually, I can cry, yell, scream, moan, uh, pick on certain words that I'll repeat. Um, I might jump around. It might I might sound like, uh, I might like, like say things that he says. I might sound like him. I might sound like somebody else. Um, it might look like recent things. It might look like childhood. It might look like what people call past life. It might look like all of them. But there's always opposites. So there's always like, why? And then there's a, I'm going to yell, why? 
okay? So there's always opposites, and that's the key. Because the way we survive is to separate the opposites. You separate the anger from the hurt, and then people walk around, they're angry. It's like if somebody says something and it makes you angry, you feel much more powerful if you feel angry than if you feel threatened or fear. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so the journey is always moving through these opposites. And sometimes I might have to return and cycle back through it until I'm actually able to, 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 to somewhat lead the person to it. But it's different for everybody because uh, everybody is different. I was watching your video with the princess. What's her name? Oh, yeah. And, um, and I'm watching this and I'm thinking to myself, how did she find you? Like, where, <laughs> what is like, so like, what? I'm just saying. And then I thought to myself, is that her? And then I heard the little English accent and I said, and I could see what you were doing. And my feeling was like, this woman has so much um, barriers to get through to be able to touch herself. Right. That your example of what you were trying to get her to get in touch with was very powerful coming out of you. And I saw how hard it was for her to break through. Exactly. And I was like, I, I was like there with you watching it. And then I'm thinking to myself, God, this guy, some famous lady even came and found him in the middle of Arizona, you know? <laughs> so that's the other way that I helped clear the way. I'm, I'm asking them to consciously bring in the vibration that they've been pushing away. And carrying inside their body. That right, body. exactly. And, and that they, causes disease. That they are in resistance to, that they are contracting around. But the only way it was work, will work is if we bring it in and you then do not contract. You have to, that's the breath, that's the open space, that's down. Mm-hmm. That's the doorway to your big eye. I only need five seconds. It can happen that quick. Five yeah. seconds of that reversal. Um, but you do. You run right into what the problem is immediately. You know, it's like I say, okay, I want you to do this. And the person will start thinking or, you know, because so this is the primordial movements that you mentioned. Uh, so I use the body and the voice to bring in a very specific vibration. It's like dance. Your hands are very important. How you hold your hands, whether they're fists, whether the hand, the hands when you reach out or the palms are up or are they down? Mm-hmm. So it's just a whole, so it's like, I'm trying to, to hit a particular note. And if I can hit the note with a lot of fire, so to speak, strength and bring it in, then it can move it. And then I'll bring in the opposite right away. So it's like, It'll start out, okay, feel the space, breathe, empty, boom, bring it in. I'll show them, feel the space, breathe, empty. Now bring this one in, back again to the empty. So they, that empty, that big I is the one. That's the medicine of one. That's what helps it to work. So it's not psychodrama where you're just acting something out. Because mm-hmm. that's just blowing off steam. It's this bringing in that specific vibration and their sort of awareness of they recognize it. And and then it just, something just sort of flushes and they become lighter. And that's what clears the way. I've experienced some work like that. And it really, it it feels like pounds are lifting off your body when the release comes. 
and that you've been carrying that around for so long. And sometimes people, but you know, sometimes you can see people with their shoulders are like, you know, they can feel like they're carrying the weight of something. Exactly, yeah. So you've been doing this for so long, you must have treated or not treated, but assisted hundreds and hundreds of clients. Yeah, thousands, I'm sure, yeah. Thousands. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to have to drive over to visit you. <laughs> I'm going to have to sign up for one of these. Of course, you offer so many different things. I wouldn't even know which one. Actually, I don't do that much. It's not that much, really. <laughs> uh, uh, so is soul dreaming, that's different but, than soul retrieval? No. Oh, no. No, because that's what we're doing. Right, we're going back to the We're soul retrieving effect. soul energies. To me, you don't, your soul isn't made up of pieces. <laughs> it's made up of energy emotional energy and so when we contract and don't let it move the soul loses energy so to speak until some people have lost so much that they feel like they aren't here they're out there somewhere so literally we're trying to clear the way through the physical body so they can be here present in their body uh, um, I, I think that the another video that i watched of you explaining something about this was about giving and receiving. Yeah. yeah. And I, that, that makes me feel something like what we're talking about, because I note that I, that's something that I have to work on with my own self and it's all my own doing. I, this is nothing that I, nobody says to me, please keep giving to me. It's just that I have a tendency for whatever the issues are that I'm always giving and giving and giving. And then all of a sudden I find myself depleted. And right. I, I really thought the information you had about that was so valuable and that I really need to figure out that way of, of course, you're and you're looking at it different. You're saying, well, here I'm giving, here I'm receiving. That's where it needs to be equal. But those old thought patterns, like you're saying, that are deep inside, I don't deserve it. I'm, I, I can't receive. So I'm like I, this show I find doing these podcasts have become incredibly healing for me in my own work because I find that people write positive comments and I can't take it. <laughs> <laughs> and that, my husband has to read them to me because I said, oh, my God, I can't believe what they just said. I can't take that in. You know, <laughs> I would like to be able to receive. Well, well, so give up being uh, just just. Um, sort of giving up, give up being a person. Just it, it's like just let it come. But there's nobody here that it has to. That it, there's no ego. To uh, the thing, to, the interesting thing about giving and receiving is it. Well, first of all, it's a circle. Right. It's basically gratitude. You cannot be thankful unless you receive, and in your thankfulness, you give. And so the, the paradox is the person that gives is the one that's in control. That's what I was trying to say. And I said to myself, God, am I done some control trip? I mean, I'm, I'm asking myself, what's going on with this? Because when you receive, you're not in control. You're right. just open. And exactly, if you don't receive, you will deplete yourself. Which ties in again with there being no ego there to identify with being so... It's like you give up being the doer. You just let it be done through you. So if the if the you know the recognition and whatnot comes back, 
it's like you just receive it, but you've given up being this individual that it's acknowledging and you already know that it's not me anyway, but you know, something's happening and I'm glad. <laughs> I, I was having lunch with my friend, Dean Radin, who's a scientist. And I said to him, I don't know what to do when I explain that to him when they say these nice things. And he said, all you do is say, thank you. Exactly. Said, oh, you know, and it just seemed so the next one that happened when they gave me this something very nice, I can never repeat them either because it's hard to take them in. I did exactly what he said. And I just said, thank you. And it was such a whole different experience. Just those two little words, like opened it more or welcomed it in. Exactly, right. And it was simple that, that our listeners should know when we're talking about this kind of work, yes, it's hard, but yes, it's simple. But you see, some people cannot receive uh, when it's drastic because they know what it's like to be given something and have it taken away. Mm -hmm. So if you don't receive it, it can't be taken away. Very interesting point. So that's where fear lies then. Right. Because you're afraid you're going to lose this. And that's the control. The giver ah. is always in control. Fascinating. Fascinating. I found writing a book about my life was also a very healing thing that by just putting the words out had me separate from the story. Yeah. And the story became on a piece of paper and I felt freer. Yeah. 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 For me, the, it's so important that it, it I actually have a video on it that's kind of like through me, not by me. Mm -hmm. um, and because when I do the soul dreaming, I don't know how it happens. That's what would have been my next question. Do you feel when you're doing this work with people, like, you know, some people say, oh, my angels come in or my God. No, I don't have any of that going on. Me either. I, I'm finding such great um, validation with you about some things. No, I'm just I'm empty and uh, it's right there I and I give it way. voice. And, and when I'm doing it, I don't know what it means. It's not like, some part of me is going, wow, Clay, you're really doing good today. No. Not, no, exactly. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't want it to sound like whatever. I only do it when people come to me and yeah. they ask me and I, or I offer if I see someone in need and I just say, you know, if you want to come over, I could do a blessing with you. Yeah. I just call it a blessing because I feel like if I say healing, it sounds like they're going to come over and I'm going to somehow repair their damaged heart. Yeah, or, right. You know, or that they, their arm is broken or whatever it is. It's, I don't know what the right word is. So I came up with this sort of blessing thing. And I always tell them, I don't know what's going to happen because all I do is step out of the way. And then whatever comes through me. And I found that like, I'm not a person who can sing. I have not been in touch with being able to get my voice to sound. But you know but what? I, you have a good voice. I have a voice. <laughs> no, no, you have a good voice. Can oh. you receive that? Okay, thank you. I have, a, <laughs> I have a New York accent, but it's a good voice. No, but I hear the accent, but it's still a good voice. Well, thank you. I found that my best way of relating with them is that I play sounds. And I play my jaw harp, or I'm not that great with my drum, but I play some drum. But mostly my jaw harp that I've started when I had my Mongolian initiation in 2011. So I've been doing that for the last 10 years, 11 years, and I always am surprised at whatever happens in the experience, 
because I don't know how the person is going to respond to my sounds or the things. And like you, for me, it's auditory. I hear things and then I just share it out to them. Right. And then they say, oh, my God, that's just like what he would have said to me. Or they, they say something that makes you know, oh, we did we did connect. Right. Um, and I don't I don't charge any money or any things like this. It's not a make an appointment or whatever. And it's not, you know, it could be two or three in a month and then nothing for a month. And then maybe, you know, a bunch of people have lost someone and they want to connect. So, yeah. And I guess along those lines, you should still be willing to receive too. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So I like this thing about the circle and the center and I'm getting, and I'm understanding that from the drawings and things I saw on your videos, but there's something else you wrote about that I have no idea what this means. Okay. Loving the hungry ghost. Ah, that's what a good one. What is that? <laughs> okay. So let's say somebody, when they're growing up, they didn't feel loved. Mm-hmm. Now, in order for us to grow up healthy, we need that. It's like water for a plant. Mm-hmm. Without it, it creates doubt. You doubt your own worth. And you hunger for the love. You hunger for it. And the hunger causes you to pick usually the wrong people to get it from. So you pick the wrong relationships over and over again. And It's the hunger. And the only way out of it is to love the hungry ghost. You must be the love to the hunger to be loved. So it's a, you know, it's this reaching out, you know, whether it's mom, dad, or, you know, please, that vibration you must be soft to and it's opposite. And that's loving the hungry ghost. Very, very I'm relating to, I mean, you're making me, stirring me up emotionally saying these things. I'm not sure it's not a surprise to you. Well, and that's, and that stirring up is what I call bringing it into the circle. Mm-hmm. Well, see, so we have an example right here. At <laughs> and then, so you bring it into the circle and the emotion you must. So in a moment when it comes in, what I would tell you if we weren't doing this is don't smile. Mm-hmm. I would want you to let it fill you up completely because one of the ways people disconnect is they smile. If you think, imagine you're angry, right? And then smile. You're going to feel very weird. Like, where did I go? So sometimes when I'm working with someone and I'll say, I want you to do this. I want you to say, please. And they'll go, please. And they'll smile. Mm -hmm. They, they don't, so they don't, they're not hitting the note. They're avoiding the note because they don't want to feel that. So it's a very clever part of the mind. So it works. It, 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 it's a mask. <laughs> Along with all those masks you have behind you. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a survival? For yes, me, exactly. It it's a survival yeah, technique. Exactly. Or I wouldn't be talking to you today if I did not be able to find ways to see humor in the things that were happening that were traumatic. Well, yeah, that's one aspect of it, but it's a, it's a type of, I'm sure you know people that it's like their job to smile. Oh, right. <laughs> okay. Um, 
they grew up that way. They were doing that when they were kids. It was their job to make everybody happy and feel good because mom didn't feel good and, and dad was never there. And so that becomes their job, but nobody's doing it for them. So anyway, the smile becomes, uh, it's a way to, when they smile, they don't know, you don't know what they're actually feeling, but the worst part of it is neither do they. Got it. So that, that smile is a disconnect. Disconnect and a mask. Yeah. Gotcha. So there's there. all these clever ways that as I'm sitting in that circle, like I did with the Duchess of York, mm -hmm. um, that the mind finds to avoid feeling the vibration, the, the thing that I'm trying to get them to feel. Sometimes it's a smile. Uh, sometimes they'll change the way the body is. Sometimes instead of, I might want them to go, mom, they'll go, mom. So, and it won't be there. Mm -hmm. So. This is, uh, so this is very good work that you're doing with these people. And were you guided then just strictly by your experiences and voices to be able to realize that this was a wonderful way to heal and have the people let go and move through their, their, their stuff to become one in a circle? It all evolved. Mm -hmm. um nobody said uh, nobody taught me uh but just as you've already expressed except all the great teachings of the world right. <laughs> well, I, that's how i didn't go to high school i didn't get you know i i didn't get these you know so i always felt like i had no degree and i had no this and i had no that and i've realized now how grateful and full of gratitude i am for the life that I've had, because I was able to go down like you, I never could fit into mainstream world. I never had any particular job or this sort of thing. I had to work for myself. Always working for myself was my better route. So I'd start my own businesses, but I never could fit in. And that's how I felt in school also, like I didn't fit in. And it's later in life where I found that I feel fitting in into this world that we have that there's all these people that have opened up in the internet to share their amazing spiritual experiences and their life. Mm -hmm. And I think in Native Americans, sharing stories was the way of sharing. Yeah. And I, I think it's an important thing to do because when we share with each other, I mean, I've learned so much from you just from watching the videos that you have on YouTube and from speaking with you today. And there's not, you know, you're not asking for anything from me. I'm not asking for anything from you, but something is happening. Right. Yeah. And that's a very wonderful thing. So I, 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 I have a, like one or two more questions and then we'll start winding down here. But what is the true action of self-love? Because the one thing that I have that I grasp with this, and I'm not sure if other listeners do also, is I feel like there's this some kind of fine line between the self-love and selfish. And I like, don't know which is the, like, I never feel like I want to be selfish. You know, I don't want to. Okay. Be, yeah. Uh, right. Right. Well, that's a different issue. Um, that comes from worth. Mm -hmm. um, uh, in this sense. So remember the most this important aspect of the circle is your big eye your i am presence 
It's open as the sky. It breathes. It's down. And it's completely here. And so when you abide in that, as that, to whatever moves inside of you, to your rage, your tears, your hurt, that is the true action of self-love. It's a, it is an action. You are choosing to abide as that. Uh, rather than it gripping you and you hating it and trying to get rid of it. So it is not a concept where you tell yourself that you love yourself. That is not the true action of self-love. So it is an actual happening, so to speak. So is that what you're experiencing when you're in the spaciousness of the circle? It's what you are. <laughs> We're all made of love. <laughs> so, well, well, just like as you sit there right now. So uh, sorry about that phone thing. Ignore okay. it. Um, sort of feel the space all around you, especially behind you. Sort of like you have eyes in the back of your head. Mm-hmm. Eyes are open. Just be empty. Don't smile. And breathe. Let your body sink down and just be quiet. Okay. And now imagine that there's a, a that something ha- you're hurt. Okay. Um, and that, but you're going to be that to that hurt. You're going to be, so it's, it is spacious. Space is love. I don't know if you saw the movie, The Five Elements. Mm-mm. Bruce Willis goes out in space, grabs the, the four elements in the four directions, comes back to this place in Egypt, sets him in place. Out in space, he meets this woman. He's in the center with this woman who he's holding in his arms. And that's lo- it's love. Space is the fifth element. I'm going to have, that's, a, that's an oldie, isn't it? That would yeah, out. it is. Yeah. Space is the fifth element. It lets all the other elements move. Without space, they cannot move. So to be spacious, which is your breathing here, it's your awareness that's open and breathing and and not doing anything but being. It's your being. And I find in breathing, there's different parts of my body to breathe from. Like I can breathe right here from the upper in my throat, just sort of shallowish. Yeah. Or I can breathe deep down from inside the, the bottom of my stomach or wherever that is that's why you got to drop down mm-hmm. it's like the you, you take the breath in as you feel the space but then you drop down to the earth to let all the air out you have to let the air out yeah. because if you hold on to the air that's control and most people hold their breath you know, we don't notice that it's only been through retreats and things I've done in meditation and stuff that I realized I'm holding my breath. I, you know, you, you don't even realize it subconsciously you do that instead yeah. of be free flowing. So in a way, all this is it's so simple. You know, it's yeah. like you as that breathing presence, all you have to the, the whole work is to bring everything into the circle that you've tried to throw out. Nothing gets thrown out of the circle because you can't throw anything out of one. You don't even have to throw out your resistance or anything, but you are the circle. You are that breathing presence. I love that you're offering to the listeners and through all your work. The fact is 
that you don't have to go to a specific teacher or study a lineage of particular things that you can go within yourself to become the I. Oh, well, that, that can't be anywhere else. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, some people feel they have to do a certain amount of meditating or they have to do all these different things and then they're going to get to this next level or they, they have their teacher. And I've never had a teacher. I just let whatever, you know, the right. world is my teacher. It's, well, and, you know, even the best gurus will tell you that it, they're only a reflection of the guru within. Mm -hmm. And that that's, that's where, that's the true guru. Stop looking out there for the answer. Look within yourself. And, you know, there's this whole thing about, you know, sort of sur like surrendering to the feet of the guru. It's like taking your head and putting it on your feet. <laughs> so will you continue on like are you is this the kind of work you're doing is this something you're continuing on in your life with having people come and clients and doing uh you know you know soul retrievals or doing uh where they come to your house and they yeah. do, uh, is that something that you would feel that this is what i'd like to do for the rest of my time yeah here. i mean it's just it's sort of like it's what i'm supposed to do right it's not really i don't i don't really have a thought about it mm -hmm. um and as long as it helps people i'll do it mm -hmm. if i feel like i'm not helping people i'm not going to do it anymore good, um, good good plan uh because i think what you're putting out there really is things that are I, i've seen the comments on a lot of your different shows and a lot of people are so happy that they found you and you have over 50,000 subscribers. That's a lot of subscribers. So that seems to be a yeah, lot. And of a lot of my videos are audiobooks. books, uh, 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 you know, various Hindu Ramana Maharshi, Nizadgadatta Maharaj. So I do audiobooks too. That's how I use my voice. I use my voice to bring these vibrations into the world. It's just another way. That's, that's very wonderful. I, I, I feel like I do that with my laughter. Exactly. That somehow, whatever is in my voice in laughing always makes persons, even if they're the saddest moment, whatever, it somehow shifts it for them and they start to laugh and become happy. Right. So, we, I, you know, we never know which thing it is we have to offer. And yet we touch each other and we might do something wonderful for someone without even knowing it. Exactly. We, yeah. You know, as long as we keep the ego out of the way. And I have to say, it's really been just a pleasure having you today. And I'm going to wind up. I'm just going to check if there was any last question I didn't ask you that I wanted to know about. And then if you could just give us a closing of anything you'd like to share. Ah, here was my one question, because I loved that episode about the wind. Oh. Love the wind. And the wind is my, of, of nature's thing, wind is my most one I feel is my buddy or whatever, the strongest wins. The, and I wondered, do you have in that same experience, which I've heard Native American people talk about, and I didn't know whether you were actually a Native American man yourself, was calling the wind. People have always said, oh, I call the wind. And they go out there and they call the wind and all of a sudden the wind arrives. Uh, when I was with Mongolians in, Sham in, in, in Mongolia, the shamans were bringing the rain and stopping the rain and, relate, you know, doing this with the weather. What, what can you say about that? 
Well, I don't. Um, the wind talks. Yes. Sometimes when I'm there with a the person and we do something and all of a sudden a gust of wind comes up and I acknowledge it. Okay. Uh, but I don't, I didn't call. I don't think I, I don't think in my mind that I called the wind. There's nobody, there's no, I here to call it. <laughs> um, but it's special. It's just like, it's like a bird lands on a bush nearby you. It's like, oh, it's like, you know, it just touches you. And that, that video is take me to where the wind begins. Mm. That is your, I am take me to where thought begins. Where does it begin and stay there? That's my last word. <laughs> that's beautiful well is there anything else you would like to share no that's it i think i've said a lot okay well i'm i i, I hope our listeners enjoyed our talk today as much as i've enjoyed having you here please stand by for a second while i close off our show all right gail thank all our listeners for being here today with clay and myself i want to thank you for subscribing commenting sharing I also want to thank you for just being there and watching our, I don't know, this might be our 30th or so show that's uh, on, our, on our YouTube. And uh, we're on Spotify and uh, Apple and uh, Google and all the usual podcast places. So listen to our shows, stay with us. We enjoy having you and we love hearing from you. Have a wonderful week. And remember, stories can heal. Thank you share your story today. Bye.